Hey, are, Hello. You, are you JVL? I can't tell because it's on your shirt. We're starting this show. <laughs> I'm JVL. This is the next level. I'm here with two of my former friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. People are going to like that voice a lot better than the Foghorn Leghorn. You've been receiving a lot of negative commentary about the Foghorn Leghorn. You're being bullied. That is not right. On Reddit, there was a whole thread about Foghorn Leghorn. And actually, it wasn't about Foghorn Leghorn. It was about Cletus. People don't understand that these are different characters. And uh, while initially the sentiment was running anti-Cletus, over the course of dozens of comments, a lot of people mm. said they really enjoyed Cletus. Yeah, interesting. Like your alt, like Poop McFarty 420 came in and defended it. And, you know. <laughs> I, it wasn't All me. All of JVL's burners are like, <laughs> Cletus is the best. <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> okay, guys, breaking news. Joe Biden is old. <laughs> old man Biden. People are worried that he's old because he's so old. He's an old, old person who is older than he was four years ago when he was old. He's older and than is he was yesterday. Three <laughs> years older than Donald Trump, who is not old. And uh, we are going to talk about this. This has been causing a lot of Democratic angst. It is a constant topic of conversation in the discourse. And also somehow is something that other people in the discourse claim is not being talked about, which... I don't understand at all. We seem to have people breaking into two camps, the people who say Biden should step aside because he's too old, and people saying the age question is illegitimate, stop asking it. I have synthesized these two positions and said, yes, the age thing is a salient issue for a lot of voters, so it matters, and also there's nothing to be done about it. So just keep pushing forward, basically my view. But Sarah, you have all sorts of things because you just talked to the people. I did talk to the people. Can I just say, though, one of the people, A.B. Stoddard, wrote this piece for The Bulwark. Uh, piece. Bill Crystal has been, yeah, love A.B. Bill Crystal has been, like, retweeting this constantly to be like, <laughs> to be like, and so he was in here, so I was talking to him yesterday, and I was like, bro, you got to stop. It's too late. It's too late. And here's the thing. I don't know if anybody remembers this. I also had this freak out. I share this freak out. I've been hearing from the voters for a long time, but I had this freak out about nine months ago when it made sense for Biden to not announce that he was going to run for re-election, for him to pass mm -hmm. the torch, for him to maybe even like put his hands on a successor a little bit or or put a thumb on the scale or allow a Democratic- People don't like that he's handsy. <laughs> That's a consistent uh, Republican attack. Can I him. also reveal that I received a call from Bill Crystal yesterday and you could maybe <laughs> guess what the topic was <laughs> in regards to? Uh, maybe, well, I, don't, I don't know if I should be revealing private phone calls. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> He's being, it's very public on Twitter. I was like, it's too late, man. This is just, it's what I said. It's just an internal bulwark argument. Uh, but this panic is coming too late. And the idea that you could now, Gretchen Whitmer could just be like, oh, I'm going to just step out of my Michigan governorship with my 12% name ID, which is the thing that people don't understand. Big Gretch. Uh, hey, and Gretch. I, I'm for this. I was for this nine months ago. The Gretchen Whitmer, Josh Shapiro, Warnock, Westmore, Jared Polis, you know, bundle of moderate-ish governors from swingy-ish states. Maybe they states could do like great. a quintumvirate, a quintumvirate yeah. 
of good Democratic governors run in yep. state. Gavin Newsom, Kamala nope. Harris, nope. people who are super. Nope. These people would also run for the presidency. They would. Does, does they Bill would. not understand that? Yeah. They would. And they're much more famous. <laughs> Bernie Sanders might run for the presidency if Joe Biden stepped aside. So this is the thing, right? Politics <laughs> is not a place where fantasies come true, right? Like the idea that you can just be like, well, obviously there'd be a Democratic primary starting now. At which point everybody would get in. By the way, nobody's got an operation. Nobody's got money. Nobody's got name ID. They're all gonna. They're gonna have this thing. Gavin Newsom probably is the only one who's got like an active because he thought maybe he would do this, uh, but he has now thrown all in for Biden. Like he's I just lighting a everyone... votive candle every night, hoping that there's <laughs> there's some health events. But he would never admit that. But just That's for right. his privacy. Sarah, can I ask you a question? Sure. You say it's too late now. My position has been, again, since uh, 2021, when people first started talking about Biden being a one-termer, was that it was always too late and that Biden would have to run no matter what. This is your position. And I disagreed with it. Like, this has been a fundamental- You still disagree or do you, do you, have you come around to agree that JBL is- No, no, no. You were, I was right back then. It's just too late now. So Mm. like, you, these weaknesses that everybody is suddenly like, he's old and voters seem to care about this is something that- I was telling you, you heard from the voters constantly 10 months ago or, or before that. We've all been talking about this for forever, though. Sure. It isn't like, you know, people have only just realized he was old, right? This, is, this has been a constant conversation since 2021. Here's what I think people are realizing, and it's true, which is that they are realizing that voters, including Democratic voters, they are worried about Joe Biden's age. I think they belatedly caught up to the lack of enthusiasm for Kamala Harris and the fear that that actually generates in the idea that if Biden had a health event, Kamala is the person who would have to run and that she could very much lose to Donald Trump. I also think that people sort of thought the age thing would be a wash, that between Trump and Biden, there's like three or four years age difference and that it wouldn't matter. And I think people realized maybe after the CNN town hall that Trump and Biden, despite being not so far apart in age, seem quite far apart in vigor. Oh Maybe boy. it's because just hatred burns brighter. But let me t- read you some quotes. Okay, so I was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is one of those real important places, like a bellwether county up in PA. We just lost uh, 15% of our listenership. Well, I've been to Bethlehem recently. You have? Well, I've seen these people. They were lovely people. And yeah. so I talked to Democrats. Well, they were lovely. We did two groups of Dems, and we asked... In fact, we didn't even have to ask. It comes up immediately, Biden's age. Uh, But when we were talking about it, one woman said, this is about Trump. Even though he's a bully, he doesn't falter. He doesn't mumble. He doesn't fall off the steps. I mean, Biden does. So I think it's a matter of, you know, I don't think that he has enough confidence. Talking about Biden. It's Lisa. Trump did literally fall down the steps, just as a fact check. (laughs) This is Elena from PA. You can see from even the beginning of his presidency to now, like there's definitely been some decline and that's worrisome. This is Lewis. I think his health is the thing and his mental capacity has to come into play. And I would like to see someone a bit younger, a bit more assertive. And they're all just kind of like that. They're not, they're not saying he has dementia. They're not saying he's drooling. Lisa was definitely going to vote for Biden. But I think that part of it is that as people sort of got out in the field and started listening to voters, they realized that actually lots of voters are worried about his age and also that they don't seem to have that same fear about Trump, that there does seem to be a difference. I have a solution to this. Okay. Izzy Mandelbaum. Remember Izzy? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking Sarah, about. Sarah, you remember Izzy. From the He's Seinfeld, the old the Seinfeld man episode, in Seinfeld right? that kept yeah. challenging people to weightlifting competitions. <laughs> Joe Biden should challenge Donald Trump to a bike race. 
just one time around the track, I want to see Donald get up on on a on a two wheeler and just put all these concerns to rest. Just a, a just two old men <laughs> getting out there, drinking some Powerade, eating some spinach, and then having a road race. That's I think that's the answer to this, or maybe a bicep curl challenge. Mm. Push up, push ups. Do five push ups. Here's the thing. When Donald Trump faces these indictments, one of them is the hush money to a porn star, right? Like, I understand that people are like, well, this is a bad thing for him, but I'm like, it contributes to a general sense. Donald Trump is still dealing with porn stars. You don't think Joe and Jill are still knocking knocking boots? That has never crossed my mind ever <laughs> one time. I'm talking about just broadly how people perceive the age of these two men, the relative ages of these two men. Does anybody recall that the press conferences during COVID when he would talk about injecting bleach into people and shining ultraviolet lights inside the body? And the Wall Street Journal poll, which came out 24 hours ago, one of the questions was, which of these two is mentally up to the job of being president? And Trump had a 10-point advantage over Biden. And I look at that, and I just don't understand how anybody who lived through the Trump presidency could think that he is mentally, because again, like it's always word salad. This is, you know, does Donald Trump have dementia? How would you know? How would you know if he had dementia? Can I read a bleach he sent? Every time you see these radical lunatics and their partners in the fake news media talking about the trials and tribulations of President Donald J. Trump, please remember that it's all a hoax, just like Russia, 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 no collusion, Mueller witch hunt, fake dossier. FISA fraud in order to steal an election. Like, the, like he, he doesn't even make sense. He just posts like old man rants every If Joe day. Biden said the words that Donald, any of the words that Donald Trump has said, they would be talking about invoking the, what, what, the 25th Amendment? Yeah. Right? They'd be like, oh my God, he's lost his mind. We have to remove him from office. And yet with Trump, everybody just assumes that this insanity is just, well, you know, that's just him. Sarah, can you explain it to me? Because I don't understand it. Yeah, I can explain and it, it to you. it makes me angry. Well, the freak out is coming from the fact that I think there's been a bunch of these polls, that recent Wall Street Journal one included, that just shows Biden and Trump neck and neck. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, there are plenty of people in the Democratic camp who wanted it to be Trump, right? Because they think that Trump is the easiest one to beat. And I think to have him, especially if you are a Democrat who really is like, no, Joe Biden's doing a really good job, you're like, how is it possible that he is running neck and neck with Trump, you go to the voters and you ask them, what, why? And then you realize that the voters are number one, not feeling the benefits of the macro economy, and they talk a lot about inflation and the cost and the prices of things, and that they think Joe Biden's too old to do the job and they don't think he's doing a good job. And I think that that is belatedly a broad swath of Democrats are coming to see this and are reacting sort of like you are, which is kind of be like a sputtering, anger at voters, but also a real fear and also a recognition that it's too late to change horses. Can I also explain it? Trump seems like a deranged lunatic, but like it takes energy to like yeah. to issue that level of derangement day in, day out, to just sputter angry word salad. Like it's like the man point? screaming at you on the street corner. You're like, I'm not worried this person is gonna keel over. 
Like they don't seem to be of their faculties, but they they do seem to be awake. They actually seem like they might be on methamphetamine right now. And so like that is a contrast to Joe Biden who like moves very gingerly. I, I, I do think that's it. I want to defend the honor of the Democrats on this because this is a thing which I have heard so many times. Like Democrats wanted Trump. I dug into this like a year ago and I could find like two elected Democrats who said that they preferred that Trump be the nominee. And almost yeah. all the other ones who had weighed on on this were like, nope, absolutely, anybody but Trump. Trump is dangerous. Trump is... And I did a survey of Bulwark readers, and the Bulwark readers went like 85 to 10. Um, we have like, great readers, though. Doesn't, yeah. Does not matter anybody but Trump. Trump is too dangerous. But our people are perfect. Our people are the, the best ones. They are not representative. We have, well, a, we have a nice a nice-sized community, but it is not a dominant-sized community. I'm just saying that I think most Democrats did not want Trump, and I think m most Democrats, this one's a little closer, believed Trump could win it in 2024, too. Like, it is not the case that the majority of Dems have blithely assumed that, like, oh, you know, if Trump's the nominee, he can't possibly win, because people like us have been standing here shouting for three years now, of course Trump can win, right? I'm not going to name names, but I can I can conjure examples in my head, including some in the never Trump world, which is a big, diffuse world of people mm. who do not all feel the same about an awful lot of things. Let me tell you what. Uh, and there were plenty of people whose part of their strategy was like, it's going to be Trump and Trump's the easiest one to beat. Like and there were there are just I, I think the consulting class of Dems, including Biden's folks, Right. There's a there's this way that people do it, which isn't to say that they want Trump. They just said it's going to be Trump. And I think that, that well, that's that, just analytically true. <laughs> it's analytically well, true now. I don't it didn't always have to be this way. That's fine if you think so. I mean, I've uh, been saying this since October of 2020. Uh -huh. While we're doing metacriticism, I think we can go rehash whether or not Tiny D could have won in December um, every week on this podcast. But while we're doing some metacriticism, can I can I bring you to an interesting media critique on this topic? Sure. That I heard recently, because I, I think many of our listeners have a critique of the media and and even the bulwark um, on the topic of age that that maybe that's discussed too much, right? That that there's too much of an obsession that there's not any news about this. I think that's one opinion. Um, here's another opinion. Nate Silver did a post yesterday. He wrote, uh, I'm critiquing the media, not normie Democrats, because normie Dems are quite concerned about Biden's age, but the de-aligned media, the lamestream media, I just added that part myself, tends to treat such concerns as a bit gauche, on the other hand, or as a narrative they'd rather not make legitimate. Red pill Nate is the worst. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking? What the fuck are you talking about? Like these guys have one note to play, one note to play. The media is bad. Media is in the tank. I got fired from ABC, so the media has to be bad. I've been spending the last th three months, you know, playing poker in Las Vegas in a poker room, but I can make a meta observation on what every corner of the media is doing, and I can tell you they're doing it wrong. And then I was like, can you provide me some data? So I ended up in a Twitter canoe with Nate Silver for like five hours yesterday. And um, <laughs> going back and forth about this, I was like, you are the data person. Can you show me some evidence? 
evidence? Can you show me some evidence? And then one of the National Review guys, Prod Heap, because Nate needs fanboys like Elon Musk does, like Prod Heap jumps in in Nate's defense and he's like, this is correct. I bet if you did an assessment of McCain old stories versus Biden old stories, you would see there were many more for McCain. And I was like, please do that analysis. I was like, please do that analysis (laughs) for me and report back on the results. No results. But Nate like refuses to give an inch on this. Like it is the, the holy Bible of the contrarian centrist, the other side of the horseshoe from us centrist. The holy Bible of them is that the elite media is always wrong and must be wrong. And they're always in the camp for the neoliberal moderate squishes. And, and there is no amount of evidence that you can provide to them that will shake that thought. And that that is like I think demonstrates like the part one of the problems you have in this situation, which is like there's no winning. And this goes back to your newsletter yesterday, JBL. Like there's no winning for like what is win- I understand the frustration of our readers on this. Like you're talking about the Biden age thing. Like, what are we supposed to do about it? Yeah. You no, know, Mike Murphy did suggest on Charlie's podcast last week that maybe they the campaign could do a little bit better job of like bringing out a team of people with him. Like I was joking about the quintumvirate of governors earlier, but like demonstrating that like a second term would have a lot of young faces and putting Pete and Kamala, I guess, forward more and maybe picking a few other young, you know, people that are like, they're going to be in the cabinet. Uh, that's something. I, will that really work? I don't, I don't know. Um, but, but at least that's a constructive solution. But like, this is the problem here. It's like, there's not like, w- there's nothing the Biden team can do. I mean, we can do them. Izzy Mandelbaum, that it's like, these assholes are always going to obsess over this and always going to talk about it and going to complain that the media isn't covering it enough, no matter the fact that it's like the central thing people talk about. And in some ways, in a way that I think my media criticism would be, it's getting to the point where it's like negating the Trump criminality. That, you know, like we go back to the both sides I'm like, on the one hand, Trump has been indicted for on 91 felony counts. On the other hand, Joe Biden's getting up there. So, Sarah, I have a question for you about how regular folks assimilate information. One of the things we have seen through the Trump era is that something comes out about Trump and voters are horrified by it. And then eventually they're like, yeah, whatever. For instance, Access Hollywood. For instance, the Charlottesville find very fine people on both sides, the injecting bleach into people, the January 6th, the 91 indictments. You know, people get all exercised, but then voters eventually struggle. Yeah. Why is that not happening with Joe Biden's age? Why isn't at some point people just like, you know, why does that a scab that they keep picking at over and over? Is it because there are no other scandals to displace it? Does Joe Biden need to start riding with a biker gang? There's there's Hunter. So there's there's stuff. But like. Do you see what I'm saying? Am I am I expressing it right? I do see what you're saying. I have like a slightly different point I want to make, and it's about inflation, but not about like real monetary inflation, but about the way that our perceptions get inflated around things. So for example, one of the things that was coming up a lot in this group of Dems was this idea that they don't see Joe Biden. They're just like, where is Joe Biden? Where is Kamala Harris? And I actually hear this all the time. I've heard this now for, for years when you talk to Dems. There's this sense that Biden is nowhere to be seen. Now, That is not because Biden is nowhere to be seen. It is because people got, during the Trump years, an inflated sense of what it meant for our president to be in your face and in your ears and in your Twitter feed all the time. And so Joe Biden is behaving like a normal person. And that's where they get this idea of, like, he's in his basement. And I think that even in terms of price inflation, I think prices are sort of going up. 
uh, somewhat, but a lot of it is actually the perception because things were so much cheaper during the pandemic because no one would, did anything, that everything seems so much more exp- Like people are going on vacations now and it's like catastrophically expensive for them. You're hearing like a lot of that stuff this summer about how expensive everything was, gas, et cetera. And a lot of that comes from the fact that like there was like a big chunk there where people didn't do as nearly as many things. And so now their perception is different. Anyway, so a lot of this is about people's perceptions and how this stuff kind of just like hits them. Now, when you say, are people going to get sick of the Joe Biden age conversation? I do think there's a little bit of like, we're at the end of summer. The amount of calls I got after the debate about Vivek Ramaswamy, you could feel it in the voices of reporters about how excited they were to just talk about something new, right? And this is a problem in our, you want to talk about a media problem. It really is just the idea of like, there's a lot of column inches to fill, a lot of podcast space to fill, and like we're about to rerun an election from two years ago with two pretty old guys with a lot of well-worn, where there's a lot of well-worn territory, right? Like, what are we going to talk about that's really new, even though there's all these indictments? Like, it's going to be on one hand kind of crazy and on the other hand kind of boring. So I think that's some of where it's coming from. The other thing I'll just say, on the neck and neck— Can I just make one point before you get to the neck and neck? Because yeah. I do think that there is— there's something else that you can talk about that I think is relevant to your to those voters' points about how they don't see Joe Biden enough and, and maybe there are new stories that need to be discussed. And, and I, Megyn Kelly brought up one of those, and that is that there are a lot of people that think the Obamas are actually running the government and that there is some sort of shadow puppet situation going on that they are controlling. And so that's like some grist for the mill. Like when you consider, you know, the Barack Obama gay stuff that Tucker is doing and and Barack and the Obama secretly controlling the government. That there might are just ex- as many people who say that Trump is secretly controlling the government because he's still president. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the insanity of it, right? I but mean, this is where, you know, Republicans are better at providing the grist for the mill, right? <laughs> like uh, the Democrats are out there being like, can we talk about how unemployment is so low and all of the things that the Inflation Reduction Act added and like whatever. And people are like, but I want to talk about gay Obama <laughs> running the government from the U.S. world Smoking crack. While he's... <laughs> While he's watching, you know, these tennis players with his wife looking totally normal. I do wonder if we should just run with the Megyn Kelly thing. I think we should kind of pull it, which is like, how would what would the head-to-head look like if if what was really happening was that Biden was running again, but we all just understood that it was he was a puppet for Obama? Yeah, I, I bet his numbers might bump a little bit. So that might be another strategy, <laughs> especially both Obamas. You know, the, I when I was talking to these Dems, you know, I asked them about Gretchen Whitmer and Jared Polk and about Josh Shapiro. Now, Josh Shapiro, because we were in Pennsylvania, super popular, just in love with Josh Shapiro. I have high hopes for him. But for everybody else, nobody knows who these people are. But they do know, they all thought Michelle Obama uh, and or Joe Biden, the wives of the current, uh, should all be the next presidents, was basically what they had. But now I was going to sort of go back to JVL's question about, does the age thing stop mattering as much? And I think once Trump is the nominee... Like what? It's funny when people are like, well, we don't see Biden, but they feel like Trump is omnipresent because you talk about him all the time. But people actually aren't experiencing Trump yet, right? Like you see his bleats. Get you see his Twitter. bleats. You read them. People aren't. Even like, like this is happening. I don't, the numbers came out for Truth Social recently and it was like, there's 10 people on Truth Social and like a thousand porn bots, like a billion porn bots. That's it. Like there's nothing on there. Uh, and so- I just I think that when there is a head to head, Biden's age will matter slightly less because I do think that the derangement right now doesn't come through the way that it might when we have to see a lot more of Trump like 
up there. Here's another question along the same line. We had two two Biden sightings in the last couple of days, one of which was him going on CNBC after the Mitch McConnell freeze up and saying, yeah, I tell you, you know, Mitch is an old friend and you know, I called him up and talked to him. He seems like his old self and, you know, I'm alibying Mitch. Then Biden going down to Florida in the wake of the hurricane and Ron DeSantis like scurrying off so that he didn't have to meet with him. And reporters are begging Biden to pull Axe DeSantis and Biden just refused to do it. He said, you know, no, I'm, you know, I'm sure he has other things to do. And, uh, but he did a good job. He, you know, he sat down with our folks and told us, you know, set everything up. And I'm so like, does nobody see that and say, yeah, okay, great. That's presidenting. That's when he seems like he's not actually full of dementia. And like, this is, this is, I guess it's disprovable or it's not non-falsifiable, right? You can't prove that he's not beating his wife. So you can't prove that he doesn't have dementia or something, right? One of my buddies uh, said to me, this was before the Joe Biden thing, there was something that stuck with me. He's like, you know, in polite society, which is not MAGA society, one of the remaining acceptable biases is against old people. I, I do think that there is an implicit... Like, uh, you know, maybe it is, I don't know, we could bring a psychotherapist onto the podcast. Maybe it's about all of our fear of mortality, you know, something inside all of us that makes us, we're all of us seeing, seeing ourselves slipping a little bit, you know, my knee hurting when I got to, you know, the basketball court, like these sorts of things that, that it, it like builds up and we lash out. But I do think that there's something to that. Maybe this is because old people run the entire country. And we live in a gerontocracy and we're rebelling against it a little bit. That might also be. That could also have something be to the do case. With it. No? I mean, yeah. <laughs> the extent to which the boomers run everything and appear as though they will not let go. So the silent generation is still yeah, hanging on to power. It is getting out of control. Like I did my Not My Party yesterday on this, or for tomorrow rather. And uh, so Jimmy Buffett, you know, Jimmy Buffett is younger, was younger than Mitch, Biden, and Trump. Yeah. And he's the same age as Bill Clinton, who's younger than Mitch Biden and Trump. And he's barely, you know, he's barely older than Chuck. They were in college at the same time. And it is a lot. It is kind of a lot. It's something else. All right. Sarah, what else from the focus groups did you have for us? There's a few things. So the PBS Crossroads special that Judy Woodruff does that um, I was sort of holding the groups for will be out in a week or so. I will say, JVL, there's a part in there just for you where when we were at in Iowa talking to Republicans, the two-time Trump voters, we were we asked them about Democrats. And we asked them some things that were like, you know, do you think that Democrats can be people of faith, like good Christians? And the answer was sort of like, no, like, because you can't be for, you know, women becoming men, men becoming women, and you can't be for abortion and like be a good Christian. And so like Biden's faith is, you know, not if you ask the Democrats, and we did, about Republicans and like can Republicans, you know, how do you feel about Republicans and do you think – what do you think about them morally? And they're all like – they were completely like, well, it's about Trump. Like Trump is a bad guy, but like other huh. Republicans aren't bad. And it was something that I told Judy was like, huh, like the Democrats are much nicer to the Republicans. Now, I do have a slight caveat, which is we were in red, red Iowa or like – pretty red Iowa versus like very purple Pennsylvania, where I think a lot of the Democrats, like, and many more of the Democrats in this group, like, 
knew hung out with or related to or engaged with Republicans in a way that the Iowa folks did not engage with Democrats. Maybe the Greenpoint Democrats might have had a different view or, you know, something. Well, I think if I was in Palo Alto or something and I asked about Republicans, they would be like, well, these people are crazy. And, you know, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Democrats are just nicer. But they were nicer in this group for sure. Did you at any point reach across the table, grab somebody by the lapels and pull his face into the table like Liam Neeson and Taken. I didn't do any with of those this, things. Or do, you didn't do any of those things. No, How do, do you things. do that? That is a superpower for you to sit there. I was watching some video of you doing the in-person focus group. And I have to say, and, and I do not mean this to be sarcastic. If you had offered me $100,000 to sit there for that 90 minutes and just like, you know, conduct myself professionally the way you did, I couldn't have done it. Yeah. How do you All do I got that? was free pizza. I get free pizza uh, <laughs> when I do it. So that's enough for me. It's very yeah, I impressive. will say there was um, the group of Dems. There were several black voters in that group. And one of them was this young woman, a young white woman in the they were in different groups because we did, too. But I, I both of them had a similar thing where for the black woman, she was like, Joe Biden hasn't done anything about like racism, the police like she had sort of this set of concerns where I just, I voted for him, I wanted to vote for him, and I just feel like nothing's been done. And the white woman was very similar, but it was more about like prices um, and like the cost of rent. And in both cases, when I asked about voting, both of them were kind of like, like, I don't know if I'll vote. So to me, this, I think part of the concern about Biden, I thought about it because of Nate Cohn's piece yesterday about Biden's slippage with black and Hispanic voters. Because I would say I have seen evidence, not of them deciding to vote for Republicans exactly, but of just the total diminishment of enthusiasm. Then when you when you pushed, and I did push around like, okay, it's Trump versus Biden, do you vote? They were sort of like, yeah, probably. And honestly, nobody really went for the no labels third party thing either, just as a FYI. There was like a little bit of interest, but... Like if you said Joe Manchin, everybody was like, no. But I, I, I do think it's this, it's this enthusiasm thing that I worry about. And I think that people are starting to worry about with Biden. And that's like, it's, it, they say age, but I actually think it comes, it's like, could be something slightly different of just people not feeling like there's something to be excited about or root for. And that that from a turnout perspective could be a problem. Well, I've got some good news for them is that the Republicans are going to be able to turn them out because if you look at what the House of Representatives is focusing on right now and Republican leadership, it really is, you know, getting at those issues of racial justice, mm. of uh, the economy. You know, e- economy, pocketbook issues, bread and butter issues. I mean, they're you know, right now here for September, uh, Kevin McCarthy is a big question in front of him. Uh, big question. There's some in his yep. caucus that are like, we should impeach Biden. And then there's some in the caucus that think we should shut down the government so that people don't get, you know, the, the basic services that they need. And so, I, you know, I, that, that seems pretty constructive. Sarah, is this another heads they win, tails we lose? I don't think so. I said this before that I think go ahead and impeach Biden. I actually think nothing could be better for Joe Biden. With the debt ceiling, I think there was a not at all clear sense of like who was shutting down the government. People were like, and the idea of the debt being high is something that lots of voters just think. I don't know about the dynamics of this one. 
Uh, this is just like a spending bill. It also includes all of our aid to Ukraine. And so like that's a big part of what this fight's going to be about. And while half of the Republican Party wants, you know, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene to shut down the government rather than send what I think is close to 5%. I want to do this. I want to ask voters how much of our defense budget they think is going to Ukraine because I bet they would say that it's much higher than 5% total and like old airplanes that were sitting in hangars. But I'll take the over. Whatever number you want, I'll take the over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I don't know exactly what the dynamic is. I do think if they impeached Biden, though, it'd be good for Biden and bad for them. I think the government shutdown is going to be bad for them. I, the problem is they don't have a coherent, at least the Tea Party, like which ended up being a total farce, obviously, like from a from a public facing standpoint, had a coherent message, right? Which was which some liberals didn't buy, and they were right probably to sniff that out. But but they, they had a coherent message, which is we're spending too much. You know, we need to we need to stop this. We need to get our budget in control. And, you know, it was it was hypocritical and it was, you know, a cover for racial stuff. But like it people got it like they understood what the message was, what the goal was, you know, now, like after a Bush and Trump administration of skyrocketing deficits, uh, you know, after like all of the just Trump insanity, you know, the fact that, that that they're incapable of having a clear message because the most visible people in the house are the most insane people, you know, like and that they're all over the map. Right. Like some of them want to cut Ukraine. Some of them want to spend Ukraine. They're not like united with a clear message. I just think it's a disaster. And they're in, I think, session 12 days between now and when the government shuts down. I don't know. I just don't know that people have like really it has sunk in. Even, you know, with people who are not like hill watchers, like DC hill watchers, you know, think this. But like McCarthy does not have the votes for continuing, you know, to fund, you know, these things. So so maybe it's just a partial shutdown. Maybe they can kind of, you know, carve around it. But he he just doesn't have them. And, And Schumer and the Schumer and the Democrats are just like, you have to come to us. Like we'll bail you out, but like you have to, you have to come to us, right? And so, I, like, I do think that 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 you know, you're right. Like the impeachment thing is a much more clear. Like these people are lunatics, like who don't care at all about you. That even the government shutdown thing, I just think that they've lost the ability to kind of message that in a in a way that's about economics and not about like just that this is an anarchy. Can McCarthy survive it? We we keep going back to the, like, you can't beat somebody with nobody. It's, like, true right. about Biden. It's true about Trump. And it's kind of true about McCarthy, right? And so I, I was always of the view back during the craziness with the McCarthy speaker thing, where I did think he was going to eventually collapse during the speaker thing. I think, JVL, you're wearing the T-shirt because you kind of had played that out, that there was nobody else. I, I thought that eventually, you know, that, that someone else would just emerge because um, it got so embarrassing. But once he won it, you know, I was like, they'll definitely give him the, enough leash for one of these things where, they gotta, where he's got to cut a deal with Democrats. But then after that, it's going to get dicey. And the thing is, though, like he ended up doing that debt deal. Like there was a lot of smoke and whatever around it, but it ended up being pretty clean. Like like the, the, the opposition to him did not seem very strong on that from the Chip Roy, Matt Gates world. So I, I do think that he survives it just because it's like, who else, like what else? And and again, in the same way that the majority part of the Republican conference does not have a clear message about why they would shut down the government or what they would want to do, the opposition really doesn't. I mean, their clearest thing is anti-Ukraine funding. But while that is a majority issue among Republican voters, 
the politicians are lagging on that. Like there's still and a, McCarthy there's still himself. These, yeah, there's still these old school, not maybe not old school, but like these the, the Republicans from the Cold War era are still in there, right? Like th- there has not been a turnover of the conference yet that meets, you know, the turnover of the voters. Oh, it's and coming. So, it's coming. No, no, it's definitely coming. But my point is if there were 50 plus one members of the House that were against Ukraine funding of the House Republican conference, maybe Kevin is in trouble, but there aren't. And so like what is the rationale for throwing them over? I just don't see it. Sarah, in your focus groups, did the voters give Biden credit for the shrewd way in which he negotiated with Republicans over the debt ceiling to just get the business of the people done and agreed to spending cuts and was sort of a good faith operator in negotiating and doing bipartisanship? Is that a thing you're hearing a lot? I did not hear the word shrewd, unfortunately. Oh, bipartisanship. <laughs> did you did you hear any? Because people love bipartisanship. They Comedy. want they want presidents and congresses who are going to going to just roll up their sleeves and work for the good of the people with the other side, which Biden has done more than any other president in our lifetimes. I think I'd have to like go back. No, that's not true. Um, that's not fair to Reagan and H.W. Bush and, and, yeah, and Clinton. That whole yeah. era, really. Right. But did, does that come up, the bipartisan, like, working with the other side thing? He took, yeah, I hate to interrupt this not at all serious question on your part. <laughs> totally um, serious. Uh-huh. Actually, I, I'll tell you, when I brought up the, the bridge collapsing there in Pennsylvania, there's this part of I-95 collapsed. And Josh Shapiro, the new governor, was able to – fix it in like this record time. Like he just had people working 24 seven, got up, but obviously they also were awash in infrastructure money. Mm. And so I asked who got credit for the repairing of 95, Sebastian. It was Shapiro. They said Donald Trump. Didn't no, they? no, 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 no. <laughs> These were Democrats. No, no, no. They were, they were, okay. they saw Shapiro. But it, there was striking to me that there was almost no recognition of sort of Joe Biden and infrastructure and the role that it played in it. That's interesting. I had a similar uh, conversation, not in a focus, just in a casual bar focus group of people in Louisiana. And uh, somehow the top, or maybe it was the child's birthday party, I don't remember. But that somehow the topic of, uh, I, I do have a distinct memory, though, of the topic. Very of like, similar vibes. Yeah, how, um, how there's a lot of money coming in to, um, you know, basically the out, like, outskirts of New Orleans, like, region in southern Louisiana for, you know, all of these new renewable energy efforts, you know, money to kind of clean up, you know, the various, uh, you know, all the emissions that are going from, you know, the oil, natural gas drilling that happens here, you know, um, uh, some battery, I, like the various plants, like the, these are business guys who start mentioning other things. And I was kind of like, huh, that's pretty good, right? Don't, do we think that people are going to be crediting Joe Biden for that here? And that was a lot, that was received as a comedy hmm. bit. So that's unfortunate. Interesting. Just interesting. <laughs> All right. Can we talk about Elon Musk and Twitter? Ugh, do you we want? have to. I want to. I want to. Over the last few days, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, has been trending on Twitter. And Elon Musk has explained that he is absolutely not an anti-Semite. He just blames the Jews for trying to destroy Twitter through their vast powers over money. Mm-hmm. Do our producers have what Elon said? Because I caught the second wave of it. Like, I caught the back and forth, but I never saw this original tweet. Uh, maybe Sebastian can effort that. So you guys are both still active on Twitter? Yes? No? Yeah. I I am full-time on threads. I am loving it. 
I'm posting four, sometimes as many as eight times a day on threads, just embracing social media. At some point, shouldn't you be off of Twitter? I don't mean to be judging. I think he's calling us immoral, Tim. I don't mean to be judging. I'm just saying that by by providing free content on Twitter, you are helping Elon Musk make money. I love that you asked this question because these days, so rarely do I get to sound like 19-year-old young Republican Tim. Oh, I want to hear it. The uh, market. I, just, I, I, love when I, I love when I get this opportunity. And it's just... This always just felt like a lefty kind of activist thing that now the righty activists have copied, by the way, and and now uh, in in, in the 2020s. Yeah, Disney, uh, the righties are worse about this now. But like back in the 90s, early aughts, there was this lefty activist thing that was like, you can't support this company. It came really to a head in the late aughts after I came out of the closet and Sarah will remember this when it was like you were shamed if you wanted to eat at Chick-fil-A, shamed. And, you know, or if you used a Mozilla browser because the Mozilla guy donated to Prop 8. And that was like the one time where it did weigh on my conscience. And so instead of like eating at Chick-fil-A a lot, I would I would only do it shamefully occasionally. And I just like we live in a free market system now with a lot of international conglomerates with a lot of really bad billionaires that run a lot of pretty bad, you know, that are that I probably would loathe if I met them in person. And if I knew their private thoughts, like we know Elon's private thoughts, I would probably be as repulsed by them as I am by Elon. I don't really love Tim Cook, for example, and I'm on all this Apple, um, all, all this Apple stuff. I think that he's kind of like opposite of Elon. He's like a, a very well put together fake kind of charlatan that has that is doing a lot of really awful shit in in China and elsewhere, but like has the sheen of being a good guy. So anyway, that's my rant. Yeah, sure. I should be on threads more. I'm threading too. I'm doing both. Um, I, I have a Twitter addiction also that is part of this. And um, I, I'm hoping that that like that Elon will save me from myself. And that, like, this whole thing is going to collapse upon itself, which, like, it increasingly seems like it will eventually, right? And, like, how can he yeah. – and he's just burning cash. Like, his his lenders are going to – I don't know. Maybe they're Jewish lenders. Maybe I shouldn't have said it like that. But are going to have to come calling at some point, right? Like, he's got to pay off his de- no. loans in, and debts. In a weird and, way, he has more leverage over them because it's $12 billion that he owes the banks. Yeah. The truth if you is, owe the bank, if you owe the bank $50 million, yeah. the bank owns you. If you owe them $12 billion, <laughs> you own the bank. You own that. That's exactly right. Here, Sebastian found this for us. Since the acquisition, the ADL has been trying to kill this platform by falsely accusing it and me of being anti-Semitic. To clear our platform's name on the matter of anti-Semitism, it looks like we have no choice but to file a defamation lawsuit against the Anti-Defamation League. In our case, they would potentially be on the hook for destroying half the value of the company, so roughly $22 billion. But there's nothing anti-Semitic in this tweet from him. Well, I mean, saying that the ADL is potentially on the hook for destroying half the value of the company. So I thought maybe there was another tweet that I was missing to this side. Yeah, there was. There's another one where he talks about 60% or something. But but to me, when I when I read this, what I hear is a pathetic loser uh, who doesn't want to take responsibility for the fact that he has cratered the value of his own company and he's looking to blame somebody else, which is not the Jews, but ADL they just happen to be for Jews. accusing him. But who are the Jews? Right. They just the ADL just happens to be Jews. 
Yeah, our, our U.S. advertising revenue is still down 60%, primarily due to pressure on advertisers by the ADL. That's what advertisers tell us. So they almost succeeded in killing X slash Twitter. Uh, point is, Twitter is going to die. And so I would say, why not speed the collapse by hopping over to the one other man? place? Well, I mean, I don't think of you as one man when it comes to Twitter. I think of you, you as one of the great- You tweet with the strength of a hundred men, Tim. I did, I have messaged- social media artists of our generation. I have messaged, and if any of my friends over at Facebook, I'm kind of annoyed about this. I was like, Zuck should be putting me in like the beta. Like I should be getting the threads and I've, I've, I did message some of my people, some people that I used to work with to work at Facebook. And I was like, get me in on that. Like, I'm a power user. Like, get me in on this bad boy. I want all of the, I want to test out all the features for you guys. Um, so anyway, I don't know. But Zuck's no saint. Yeah, I, I hope Twitter dies. I mean, I would, I would get no, nothing more than joy than Elon Musk completely going belly up. But I, I can't completely give up on it. Let me tell JBL a hard truth. I want to give JBL a hard truth. I love hard truths. Twitter is deteriorating before our eyes rapidly. It is awful how much it has deteriorated. It is still better than any other platform that has been offered yet. None of these other things have both the number of users, the number of people that you can interact with who are saying interesting things. And just in terms of like a text-based platform, like where you can say a thing and comment and like on an article or whatever, I, and it, when it comes to sharing our our content from a business standpoint, like there's just, there is yet, I am, a, look, I'm a free market person. Give me the Twitter alternative. And basically you just have to build Twitter from like three years ago and I'd be perfect. That's what Threads is. Threads is slow. It doesn't have lists. So for live, it's like really struggling. Like the thing yeah, that no. I would, the yeah. thing that's really struggling is live, right? Like what do I use Twitter for? Like, so I'm using threads for like just tweeting about articles, tweeting about politics. I'm already using threads. What, what is it not offering me, right? Like when Donald Trump is going to jail and I want to know, and I want like initial reacts, I'll feed it to, yeah, yeah, feed it to me in my veins. Yep. Threads is not doing that. It's going too slow. Uh, and then, and then sports and other non-political things, right? Like I have my LSU people, I have my Nuggets people, like during the game, I have a list, I can just watch them. So I'm not seeing, you know, random bullshit about Donald Trump coming into my feed, you know? So it's got, it's got a little bit of a ways to go on that front. Look, I agree with you that none of these people are saints. One of the big differences though, is publicly held versus privately held versus public companies. And it is, you know, like a, a company that is beholden to shareholders, in theory has some accountability, but when some, you know, when you have a sole owner of a company that is, I mean, there is no way to ever get any accountability, even theoretically. And that's why. That's true. When you go get your gas, when you're driving around, are you just, are you mm -hmm. going to the gas station only with the best CEO with like the most, the most moral CEO, you know, you're just uh, like, you know, no, can't go to Chevron. Don't want the Venezuelans to get the money. In New Jersey, we have other considerations. <laughs> we go to, you know, when Joey, Skinny Joey. Skinny Joey tells yeah. me that his station will take care of me. And so that's it. where I go. Okay. See, nobody gets mad at me when I do the Jersey accent. Yeah. Nobody, when I do my, you know, Italian-American Jersey, this is how things happen. Nobody gets their, they're all like up in a state about that. I haven't asked that. you, how does it feel to not have to pump your gas? God, that just must be a joy. That must be like your best eight minutes of every day where you just it's have great. somebody pumping your gas for you while you're checking threads, uh, listening great. to a podcast. I love it. I've never understood the thing that people, because this is, 
most people look at it the other way around. Yeah, they hate I hate the idea it. of not being able to. Hate Why it. is that, Sarah? I think that when you are used to not interacting with a person to do a thing and you just do it yourself uh, and then suddenly you are being told to interact with a person and like, here's the thing. There are just some things that are like feel very unnecessary. So one of them is whenever I'm in the bathroom at like some of those like really ritzy places and they have an oh, attendant, attendant to hand me like the paper that. towels, I'm like, I don't need mm -hmm. you to do this. I do this everywhere mm -hmm. else on my own without supervision. So I feel the same way at a gas station where I'm like, I do this by myself all the time. Friend, this is a I don't need classic lesbian gay divide right here. This is a classic <laughs> LGBT divide within our community. Like you just want your hands to smell like oil and gas, and you want to touch that stuff and get. And it's just like, ugh, ugh. No, let somebody else do that for me. That's great. I will just hang out, chill. Yeah, I'm just spraying my hands with the gasoline. <laughs> you, you, your hands smell like the pump. <laughs> like in after. Zoolander. Oh, they right? don't. They do. Your hands smell like the pump. How do you, like you get pump. your gas poorly if your hands come away smelling like petrol? <laughs> it has an effect. Good show. Long show. Hey, everybody, we are moving this show. We're taking the next level. And we're putting it on the Bulwark main feed. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you're still going to get it there. Don't worry about it. But if you are one of our thousands and thousands of YouTube listeners, then you're going to need to get us on the Bulwark main YouTube feed there. Did I do a good job of that? that you great. did. I would just and like to say friends. from the beginning, I said this oh, thing God. should all just oh, be boy. in one feed. Here, uh, yeah, I'm going to tell you all. Oh, I, boy. And for some reason, people wanted to split them up into their own feeds. It makes what no people? sense. Which I'm people, just, Sarah? I mean, some people. There were people here who just didn't. You know, I'm just telling you strategically, it always made sense for us to all be on one channel with all the shows and all the content. Uh, and it's great because then you can find our other awesome content that is also on YouTube because it will be in the same feed, which is how it should have been. And I don't want you to, now that you've mentioned this on the podcast, I don't want you to confront that person publicly because they will listen to this and they will know that it's coming and they will know that the axe is hanging over their head and they won't yeah. know when you when it will come down right. upon their I'm, I'm angry about this. But also, this show is blowing up. Tell your friends, because you know this is this is the this is a big this show's a big thing. Good. Guys, we'll see you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.